Welcome to another episode of the Remote Real Estate Investor. I'm Pierre Carrillo, and today I'm here with the usual suspects, Tom Michael on the mail. And today I'm going to be asking them about rising home prices in the markets right now, and if it's a good time to sell instead of buy. So let's jump into it. All right, guys. So like we talked about previously, my brother and I are working on buying some houses right now. And one of the things that we're seeing is that compared to last year, active listings on the market are down 52%. The prices of homes are climbing continuously. There's like 16% up year over year, and they continue to climb. A lot of the projections are saying that they're not going to drop anytime soon. Is this a good time to sell? Are you guys selling and if not, like when is a good time to sell? Yeah, such a good question. Tom, do you want to take first track at it? What's the acronym the Bitcoin guys say? HODL? HODL. HODL. Do you know what I'm talking about? HODL. We're not all Bitcoin guys now, Tom. We don't know the, the acronyms. I'm sorry. I'm excited. I bought my first little <laughs> fraction sliver of one and I just am using their acronym now, HODL. So yeah, Pierre, good question on you know looking at some of the stuff. I think for myself and I would assume also for Michael and Emil is that we're pretty long-term bullish and going through year over year, like there are going to be some trends, but like over the long time, like the way that I think about building my real estate portfolio is I, I just want to build this big cash flow machine. And like, yes, there's going to be fluctuations on like what's available for sale, prices are doing, but looking at my North Star is just building this long-term growth machine. Like I can't be like chasing a car, just like following metrics and like, oh, I, I should sell right now. Uh. So it's like having a long-term perspective. That's not to say that I don't sell because I think sometimes it is opportunistic to sell. Uh, a lot of my more recent dispositions have been consolidating in specific markets. So let's say I have a property in like a corner where I don't want to have any scale in that market. Maybe it makes sense to sell it. Maybe I've caught some nice appreciation. You know, I had a property in the corner of um, a market where they have like, I didn't have a lot of properties. And also there was like some like legitimate like weather concerns of like floods and stuff. And like, I don't want to sweat that out every single time if I'm not planning to get, you know, the, the right kind of insurance to protect myself against that. So my uh, meandering answer of a question is, you know, sometimes there is a place to sell, but I, I you know, I won't sort of panic sell and monitoring those metrics because I use my North Star to hang on to. So enough pontificating, Tom, somebody, Michael, Emil, jump in quick. <laughs> so I think it's a really good question too. And so I actually am in the process of selling a couple of properties. I think I've talked about it on a couple episodes in the past, but I have a six unit out in the Midwest that I'm under contract to sell. And then I just sold a uh, luxury condo in Southern California. Oh, congrats, man. That closed? Yeah, that closed. So I was super excited. Thanks. The short story long is that they asked for reduction in rent because of COVID, which we were happy to, to give them. The property wasn't cash flowing really before that. So then it was a little bit negative. And I said, you know what? There's been so much appreciation here. It's a condo. The HOA fee hasn't moved since I've owned it, which has been a significant amount of time. So I said, you know what? Let's just sell the thing, see what we can get for it. We listed it. We got two offers on the first day, both over ask. So I took the stronger of the two offers, which was actually less money, but I knew it wasn't going to appraise for what the higher offer was anyhow. So it appraised right at what the reasonable offer was. Again, over ask. Uh, 30-day close, smooth, easy, made some killer appreciation on it. So I was really excited about that. And nobody ever went broke taking a profit. So I said, you know what? It will hit, continue to go up, maybe. I don't know. But to own the thing Frat negative cash flow just really isn't in my cards. And I said, took the appreciation, walked away. And then the other property, I was going to make it a value add play, 
uh, long-term buy and hold, but the market just isn't as strong as we anticipated it to be, especially because of COVID. So we just said, hey, let's sell the thing. Again, make a really nice return on it after I did some of the, the value add work and got it rented up. So I said, yeah, now is a great time to sell. But to your question directly, my personal thesis is that I'm not going to sell unless I have a better use for the money. So I'm not just going to sell for the sake of selling. So in that condo instance, there was appreciation and I had a better use for the money in my development project in the Midwest. There was a ton of equity tied up in there. And to do a cash out refi would have just been A, a pain in the butt and B would have made my cash flow even more negative. So I said, I'll just take my profit and walk. And then there are a couple of properties I own in the Midwest that have appreciated like crazy because of the value add work that I've done, rehab and getting the property stabilized. So I have agents hitting me up like, dude, are you ready to sell it? Like the value is crazy. And I just said, for what? Like there has to be something to run towards as opposed to running away from something. And until I find that next investment, there's just no point. And for me right now in those properties specifically, I have like 10 year fixed debt at really low interest rates. And the properties are cash flowing like machines because I have so little debt on them because I paid cash for the rehabs. So they're just in a really good position. And, and kind of like Tom, the aim of the game for me right now is cash flow. And so until I have a better option, I'm just going to sit tight and ride it out. Is there a reason you didn't do a 1031 exchange on that property down south? Yeah, it's a really good question. A couple of people have asked me that. So the reason I didn't is a couple of reasons. I didn't want to go buy something else. I wanted the cash to use for my development project. And so in a 1031 exchange, all that cash would be tied up in a new deal. And I would have had to go get a new mortgage, which I also didn't really want to do right now for investment property. And you live there, right? Isn't there pretty major tax implications if you live at a house for a certain period of time? There are, but I did not live there. I bought it as a pure investment property and I never lived Um... there. But so if I had lived there for two out of five years, I would have got $500,000 tax-free capital gains as a married person, 250 as a single. Yeah, absolute value, same, same number. Nice. So, I mean, I wish I had lived there for two years. Nice. Yeah. But so, I mean, I could have done the cash out refi, which would have been a, just a real pain in the butt and it would have made that property negative cash flow and used that cash for my project. But I said, you know what? I just want my down payment back and all of the cash flow, all, all of the equity to use, you know, now, so to speak. Love it. Contextual. So uh, for me, I've been in same situation as Tom. I had properties, I think I've talked about it on that prior episode when I sold. So I had properties all over the place and I decided I was a little too scattered. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't have scattered myself across so many markets. So there was one property that I knew I wasn't interested in going deeper in that market. So like to me, that was the least valuable property for me to sell. And I wanted to reduce the number of markets I was in, reduce the number of property managers I had to deal with. So I ended up selling that property. I had it listed right before all the lockdowns started. We got into escrow, lockdowns happens, buyer gets scared, walks away. We ended up selling like a month later for around the same price. So I got lucky there. That person's probably had some nice uh, appreciation since then, since every single market has gone up a lot, but that's part of it. But yeah, I used that money to actually go out and buy a triplex in St. Louis. So for me, the reason I sold, the only reason I sold was because I was in too many markets. I wanted to reduce the number of unique markets I was in, less property managers, less hassle. So that was the reason I sold. Emil, a lot of people might say, oh, well, you sold out of a cooler market at the time when you sold and bought into a hotter market. Did you think about that at all when you were buying your triplex? I think the market I sold out of was probably hotter than the one I'm in currently. But like, honestly, if you look most markets right now, every single one seems to be on a tear. Like I haven't really heard of a market staying flat throughout this whole thing, especially for, for single family. 
I mean, one of the things we've talked about before is it's timing in the market is just something that's just like not real. <laughs> I mean, you, you can get lucky and get away with it, but like, I don't know, my 10 cents is, you know, getting on to the Ferris wheel and not overthinking, trying to time the market. Sorry, I kind of interrupted conversation. Go ahead, Michael, continue going. It's a really good point. None of us are saying, hey, we sold because we think it's a top or we're trying to look into our crystal ball and say, oh, time to get out. You know, Tom wanted to reduce the number of markets he was in, same with myself. And then Michael had some other better uses for his cash, looked at his portfolio and said, this is the area I could take the most and use it better somewhere else because I have some negative cash flow here. So none of us really trying to time the market, just finding better use for our dollars. Yeah. And I think something else too, especially when it comes to buying and selling, I was chatting with my good friend, Zach Breverman, who's a certified financial planner. We had him on the podcast on an earlier episode. And we were talking about stock market investments just specifically. And, and I was like, man, I'm so scared to buy into or to exchange investments, basically sell out of a really good performing stock and buy something else because it just seems really inflated. And he goes, yeah, but you're selling high and buying high. So he says, at the end of the day, it's kind of a wash. Similar with the real estate market, if you're selling high and buying high, you don't feel the impact as much. Granted, now a lot of things are based on the purchase price, like property taxes, for instance, in California. So that could have a, a really long-term ramification. But same thing in a down market. So if people are waiting until the market dips, well, if they sell, then they're likely going to take a hit. Yes, the prices on their purchase are going to be lower, but so will their prices on their selling. So in an ideal world, you want to sell high, buy low. But again, that's you're trying to time the market. So not quite sure what the point is there. Just figured it was good words to say. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is wait till it gets to the top and sell and then... And then wait till it gets to the bottom and buy. And when you figure out how to do that, call <laughs> us and let us know how to do it. Only buy it when it's low and only sell it when it's high. Exactly. Hold on. I, I got something tangible on this also to add in. So where people have a bad time in real estate is when you like have to sell and you're almost like forced to sell, like perhaps you need the money. Like that's really the way that you lose like in this game is being forced to sell when you perhaps at a discount, you have to sell fast, like put yourself in a position to be able to weather like that type of a storm. And just kind of generally speaking, you're going to be in a better place if you can one, be proactive and strategic about your acquisitions and buying kind of based on context of what's going on with you. And then number two, like don't be forced to play your hand either. Like you have to sell because you need that money for whatever. So just to be able to kind of control your exit and entry, I think is, is important. And the key to that is just making sure that you have the right reserves, right? So you're, you're not forced. That's so huge, Tom. And I think it's interesting Oftentimes when we see on listings like motivated seller, that means like, oh, there's a deal to be had because that seller is needing to sell for one reason or another. And so yep. don't be the motivated seller, be the unmotivated seller. And the person who has the least to lose or who cares the least in the negotiation is going to win. So if you're someone that has to sell for whatever reason, you're likely going to lose that negotiation. Yeah, and I guess kind of a general theme and in, in thinking about what we've been talking about is, you know, there's all these these macro things that going on of list prices going out, going up and days on market going down or vice versa. But like really in making these decisions around selling and buying is is more contextual of you, you know, on like what's going on with you and your strategy and what you're trying to do. So, yeah, that's my little bow on the discussion around macro trends and making these types of decisions. Cool. So if I can sum this up. What you guys are saying is only sell if the numbers make sense to you, regardless of what the market is doing. Don't try to time the market. It's impossible. And what else do we have in there as a takeaway? 
I would say be working from a higher level of strategy of, you know, on where you're trying to get to in three years, five years, 10 years, and having that in the back of your mind as, you know, data points and you're making your decisions of both buying and selling is, you know, gosh, I, I'm going to mess this quote up, but there's like the difference between the weather and the, the season. That's it. The weather and the season. Mm. Be thinking about the season. Like the weather is going to come in and do some stuff, but think about the season. Um, I don't, I think I might be missing the mark a little bit, but I think you're kind of getting it a little bit where <laughs> that's a good saying, even if it's not one already, we should make it one. Yeah. Don't get lost on the weather in the season. Ooh, no, no, it's not landing quite right. It's close. It's close. It's it just needs to bake a little bit longer. It's like seeing the forest through the trees. Yes. Takes two to tango. Takes two to tango. Yeah. You know, they say there's no crime in baseball. Nope. <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a question for the group here. So I'm looking at buying a new primary with my wife in the Bay Area. And prices are just through the roof here in the Bay Area. And the Fed's not talking about lowering interest rates anytime soon, which in my opinion would be one of the biggest reasons that prices would start to slip a little bit or at least slow down. You mean raise interest rates? Yeah. What did I say? Lower interest rates? Yeah. 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 So the Fed raises the interest rate that I could see is a big reason why the prices might start to slip or things might start to cool down a little bit. What do you think? Is now too crazy of a time to buy in the Bay Area or is it is just going to get worse and, and buy while you can? Well, Mike, I would say it's, uh, Michael, it's contextual to kind of yourself. Like, you know, are you, are you looking to uh, start planting some family seeds and, and start, you know, white picket fencing. I mean, is it a good time for you right now? I don't know. Emil, please jump in. I'm um, just slapping around in the water. You're on the right track. Where are you looking in the bay? In Petaluma. Okay. Love Petaluma. Good cheese. I think, Tom, you're on the right track. Do you feel the need for me? I'm of the personal residence is not an investment. Right. It's a place that you get because you want it, because you you want a place for your family, you want some more room, whatever. Don't look at it like an investment. It'd be great if it is, but don't look at it like one. So do you feel like you need a home for a specific reason? And if so, are you in a place to do it? Then yes, do it. But if you're like, number one thing is I want a deal. I don't want to buy it at top or whatever. Like you are treating it more of an investment. Maybe you wait, see how it plays out. That's kind of my personal feeling on it right now. Of course, I'm treating it as an investment. Are you an insane person? There's an inability to look at it as a pure residence. I don't think so. I think you can. I wish I could. I wish I could. I like can't get out of my own way in that regard. Mm. And so like my wife and I are planning on building some ADUs or figuring out how to house hack the thing because it is just so expensive. I can't, I just can't stomach that housing payment for just a pure housing payment. But you have these other investments. Like what are the point of investments? Is it just to keep growing money or is it to be able to enjoy certain things in life? Wow. Wow. Now we're getting real deep at The point of your investments aren't just to keep stockpiling cash and growing investments. It's like, this is personal philosophy. It's to be able to enjoy some things in life, to have them pay for either your your cost of living or, I don't know, just be able to enjoy some things in life as well. Yeah, you want to keep growing it, but. I agree 100%. The thing that's hard for me to wrap my head around is, let's say you just go buy the pure primary investment and your investments do help supplement that housing cost so it is more palatable. I'm worried about the continued growth rate and savings rate at that point. I want to continue to grow. If once my life is paid for via investments now, I know my lifestyle is likely going to change over time. And we plan on having kids, which I hear they're expensive. Tom and Emil, is that fair to say? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You can get them at a discount. 
<laughs> yeah, you can have a discount. Exactly. Yeah. Just follow, follow the market. You know? Isn't it like you buy two, get one free at the hospital kind of a thing? Yeah, something like that. Well, you buy two and then uh, you just have a bunch of leftovers for future kids. So it becomes a little bit cheaper, I guess. Leftover oh, there you go. Like clothes and toys. And the hand-me-downs. All that. Yeah, exactly. So getting back on track here, the savings rate will continue to grow to allow for additional future investment versus so much of our investable cash and then investment income going to just cover the housing cost. But I agree 100%, Emil, that there's, you know, there's got to be a point to all this and the investing is a means to an end. Yeah. You also work, right? I, that I do. You're, you're also making active income. Yes. So it's not just like your investments would go to pay for your house. Like you're still, you're still young. Oh, I thank you. I know you. You're not going to like hang your hat up and be like, eh, I'm chilling. I just want my investments to pay. Like you're still going to have active income for a while, right? So think about that as well. Yes, your savings rate may not be as high, but it's not like you're planning on retiring soon where the investments are paying completely for your lifestyle and your your ability to save has just shrunk. It's just paying for your lifestyle. Totally. But the counterpoint is that I am at a point, thankfully, in my life where we are quite close to if we didn't have a large housing payment or if we had a small rent payment, you know, whatever that looks like, yeah. that we would be able to not have to work. Right. Yes, you have the choice, but you're going to. That's true. Right? Like you're you're in your 30s. Are you really going to hang it up this early? Come on now. You've been to Bali. You know how good it is. Yeah, work from Bali. Like <laughs> hang out, surf, true, and yeah. then do some work. You know what I mean? Like I think you'd get bored real fast. This is a personal thing. I can't see myself like actually retiring for 20, 30 years. Like there's still just fun stuff to do and earning some money as well. Uh, final tidbit on that discussion around you know, should I, you know, buying primary residence? Uh, I think it's, it's a two kind of two-sided vector where one of them is how much time you're willing to wait. And the other is like how good of a deal you want to get. So, you know, you could get lucky and find something that is, when I say a deal, like probably more like just like reasonable, you know, but if, you know, the, the sooner that you're moving to, to move, you know, to, to find a primary, the less likely you're going to get a, um, you know, kind of a good deal. But it's not to say that they're not out, out there. I think another consideration, I think probably for yourself, who, who like really is into like rolling up their sleeves and stuff is a property that needs a little bit more work, maybe a little more acreage, like you said, yep. and, and getting a, an ADU unit on it. So I think you can thread that needle of still playing offense with your investments on your primary. Uh, but it just, like I said, like, I think it'll probably just have a little bit of a longer wick of identifying that property. And it's not like, you know, a baby is not coming out like next week where that's important to mom or whatever to like have that nest set up. So, right. Um, I don't know. I think you're in a, you're in a great spot and yeah, kind of depending on your time, you can, you can thread that needle. All right. Thanks guys. If you get too cute for, you know, with, with buying a property and like trying it, like you could just wait a very long time, but I'm just re repeating myself. Cause I, I know people who's like, you know, put like 15 offers in like, nada, nada, nada. It's like sometimes in, in really hot markets, it's like, especially with a primary, you just got to throw away your logic and say like, okay, I'm going to live here. I'm going to pay what it costs. You know, go ahead, Emil. Tom done. <laughs> Tom finished mic drop. Tom out. I forget which one you said it, but when you're in a hot market or like if you're buying when things are up or selling when things are up, you have to buy into when things are up anyway. So like when you buy your home and when you eventually sell it and maybe move, I don't know if this is like, you're looking at this as your forever home, but let's say it's your starter home, right? And you know, you're going to sell it later, whatever environment it's in, like if you're selling and oh, it stayed flat or whatever, you're buying into the same kind of environment. So it's not like you're going to get screwed on 
when you move or something. Right. I do say there's something about seasonality for buying your primary residence. Like right now, I think it's starting to heat up a bunch. The very beginning of the year, I think sometimes there's opportunistic, you know, just coming out of like January mm-hmm. or like deep into the winter, you know, looking at stuff that's on, that's been on the market for a long time. After the holidays. Yeah. The house that, that I ended up buying and I'm living in, um, it was, you know, similar conditions, just like super, super hot market. And then the house was days on market was at like 25 days, which was like an eternity, like in that whatever time period. So when I looked at it, there was some, you know, some kind of like goofy stuff about it. But I was like, OK, this is all like fixable. And, um, you know, found something that was just a little bit weird enough <laughs> that I think like people weren't about. But here I am in a construction site and it's going to be lovely at some point. <laughs> uh, no, it is. It's a great spot. But anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. Like looking at seasonality, kind of like off market, there's some good opportunities and days on market. But all stuff that, you know, Michael, all stuff that, you know, no, this was this was great. And we are so lucky. We're in the process of converting that van to go live in for a while. So that's going to be our our mobile home base to go check out houses and park in different neighborhoods and see what it's like to live there. So we're thankful that we don't have this time pressure. Awesome. All right, everybody. That was our episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please like and subscribe anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you on the next one.